Welcome to Post Bog Talk, my name is Ed. And I'm Oz. And today we journey deep into the heartland of the remaining North American continent. Kansas City. Deep within the Kansas City city limits lies a small grouping of office parks. Faraday Shipping and Receiving, the Hanson Travel Agency, Moakland Credit, and Boral Construction. Erected around the office park complex is an enormous 30-foot-tall steel fence, reinforced over the years with scrap and spikes and barbed wire. We began our journey sending several notes over the wall and requested entrance to perform an interview. We were told that we would need to get ID badges made at the central security office before entering. We were directed to a charred and smelly box just outside the wall with a skeleton of a man who had been ripped apart by some sort of wildlife and was overall less than helpful. So we made our ID badges using his pens and a laminator and we sent those over the wall as well. And with that, we began our expedition into 1525 Marlin Street's Office Park Complex. Inside, we were greeted by a tall woman with a gleaming white dress shirt and tie over leather pants and boots. She was carrying a stick with a large paper cutter blade duct taped to the end of it. She introduced herself as Terry and explained that she was the HR representative for Faraday Shipping and Receiving. Nice to meet you both. After assuring Terry that we were not from corporate and that we were fairly certain a large shipping company on the Hudson River was no longer operational, or even there anymore, they lowered their weapon, and we explained that we were here to do a radio show. Well, we don't have a PR person anymore. They were recently fired. She motions towards a burned pile of wood in the center of the park. But I'm sure I can accommodate you fine gentlemen. We don't get radio here anyway. What would you like to know? Terry gave us a brief tour of the courtyard in the center of the large buildings. Each of these buildings has between 75 and 150 workers living in them, most of which are still functioning. Functioning? Work doesn't stop just because the world did. We still have a lot to do. But you can't ship or receive anything. You don't get paid. You have no contact with the outside world. Terry stops and turns to us. Let me show you something. Terry takes us inside Faraday's main lobby. Inside, the cracked linoleum rides up along the walls from the humidity, and there's an old reception desk between out-of-order elevators and a woman sitting behind it. She has neatly bobbed brown hair and is wearing a purple suit jacket. Her name plaque says Monica. The last name is scratched out. Welcome to Faraday Shipping and Receiving. Hey, Terry. Hey, Monica. You've been at the grind for a while. Have you taken lunch yet? No, I wanted to make sure I was here when the guys from corporate got in. Of course. I'm sure Mr. Ed and Mr. Oz are very impressed. Go ahead and take lunch. You've been very helpful. Sure thing, Terry. Now watch. When Monica gets up, we notice she's not wearing any pants. Her feet are blackened and dirty, and her chair is missing a large hole of it in the back, as if something blew through it as they walked in the door. She turns around, and behind her is a small tube with a green button. She presses it, and after a second or two, a small cartridge shoots down into the open area, and she grabs it. Inside is a ham and cheese sandwich. She turns around, and sits back at her desk, and unwraps it. I'm gonna show these guys around. You take care, Monica. You too. So we're just gonna let that... Okay. Terry takes us toward the stairs and opens the door for us. I'm digging this no-pants rule you got, Terry. Whoa, I, why are you taking your pants off? I'm embracing the culture. That's really fine, Mr. Oz. You can keep those on. Seems like that would be something your department would be against. 
Uh, it is. But this is a shipping company, not a pants factory. Where did you guys get your pants? Dead people. I also got these at the mall. Right. Well, we don't have a lot of contact with the outside world, so some things like pants are in high demand. These buildings were created in 2020. Some of the work shortages had gotten so bad that people were moving to these corporate towns, little office parks surrounded by suburbs that were subsidized by the government. The office parks themselves, though, were marvels of engineering. They had enormous supplies of lunches for their workers, on-site babysitting and healthcare, even emergency dorms as required by the government towards the end of the big scare. Terry tells us these buildings were one of the few that were successfully created and started running before the event occurred. When it did, they were so far inland that they were protected from most of the things, but not everything. Monsters, bandits, and zombies began to move inward after the wars and the people of Kansas City Office Park moved their families into these buildings and they constructed the walls around the office park itself. The office parks had an almost unlimited supply of emergency food, water scrubbing systems, emergency dorms for short-term use, and an assortment of survival supplies. Terry estimates that their supplies would have run out around 2250. That was before shit hit the fan. It's ham sandwiches and rainwater now. Quickly, the community learned to defend itself, keeping quiet not to attract enemies and steadily building up the walls around it. They farmed small crops and formed close-knit communities based on their office park buildings. When I was a kid, we would have these baseball tournaments between buildings. All the companies would come out and the kids would play. I remember meeting this pretty girl named Rosa. She could throw a mean fastball. Those were better times. When Terry was 16, about 13 years after the event, a horde of zombies broke through their 10-foot-tall wire fence during a tournament game. Everyone panicked and a lot of people died in the chaos. Even worse, it started the beginning of a deep-seated paranoia and fear that spread through the park like wildfire. No one knew who was infected and who was not. One of the major symptoms of the disease before you turn is hallucinations and paranoia. People would scream about monsters. A lot of nights we sat around little fires terrified that they would go out. Then one day, someone spoke up saying that it was another complex which let in the zombies and everybody started to panic. People in a panic are easily fooled. There was war and sabotage. Complexes fought against each other murdering leaders and men, destroying vital equipment. Food was purposefully spoiled. Religions were brought up worshiping old supervisors and company CEOs. Prophets would promise salvation. Madmen would promise that it was all an illusion. People would mutter in the night that this was hell, huddled around fires in old cubicle halls to keep from the cold Kansas nights. Couple of years of that panic and the old leaders died off and the next generation took control. All we ever knew was the brief years of happiness we had when our parents were working, when the sky was blue and there was grass and lawns. We made our peace with the other businesses. We gathered all the old things we could, we watched old training videos of jobs on old televisions, and we recreated the companies our old families had. Why? I mean, you have no contact with the outside world. How can you still have work to be done? You're a shipping and receiving company. Yeah, what are you shipping and receiving? We only have one real client, but surprisingly, there's lots of things still to do. There's daily, monthly, and quarterly forms based on our performance, our sales records, and our day-to-day -day functions. But you have no day-to-day -day functions. Look, before the fear, we had a society of people who weren't working. 
They waited for food in tubes, they huddled together for warmth, and they shuddered when a howl came from outside of the fence. They had nothing to occupy their time but fear and loneliness. All that tinderbox needed was a match, and we burned each other alive for warmth. So we work. We reached the top floor. Terry's office at Faraday Shipping and Receiving. Along the corridors leading up to Terry's office are a variety of people in various stages of undress and work. The papers have been marked over in a tiny font to preserve the paper. They fill them out, they click the numbers into old calculators, and put final products into the tiny little outgoing boxes next to their desks. And all the sheets of paper look strangely thick. What do you do with all the outgoing forms? They are taken downstairs, and the layer of whiteout on the top is chipped away and replaced by our skilled paper renewal specialists. So you just keep recycling the same sheets of paper? <sighs> There's this machine in the basement that used to make slushies. Purple slushies, blue slushies, red slushies. Then one day, we ran out of whiteout. So someone had the bright idea to punch in whiteout ingredients into it. On the off chance, it could make that stuff too. Now it's stuck making whiteout. I haven't had a slushie in 16 years, and if I ever find out who did it, I'm going to kill him. As we pass, the people turn to look at us. Terry smiles and says, Corporate is here. You're all doing fantastic. Terry takes us down to her office. A plaque with her first name is right on the outside. The last name is scratched out, and above it, cut in with some kind of knife, looks to be a sign that reads, Human Resources. Inside their office is a neatly kept desk. One leg is missing and replaced with what looks like a bone. Along the side of the room are a series of file cabinets. What's in the files, Terry? My job is to keep records of all the people in my business building. Everyone born, transferred, or dies, and I have a record of it, complete with their original names. Original? We noticed all the last names are all scratched out on the plaques. Well, obviously we couldn't make our own name tags. We take whatever job is available in the first name of whomever was doing it before. I'm the secondary to hold this position. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, what happened to the first Terry? Oh, we had a downsize and his services were no longer necessary. What happens when you're no longer necessary? You're fired. A little bit of smoke rose from the courtyard beyond Terry's window. So, we noticed you guys were cooking something in the courtyard. Hmm? Oh no, there's nothing but deli ham around here. Right. Uh, anyway, so besides keeping records, you guys, you, I mean, you seem like the head honcho around here. Well, it's not just record keeping. Human resources is the most important job at the company. I mean, the title itself just seems to command authority. Not only do I run the day-to-day -day operations here, but most of the training videos I can find say that I'm in charge of the complaints and problems of the employees here. Ethical violations, sexual harassment, mistreatment, and abuse by superiors. Do you get a lot of complaints? From your pantsless employees? A couple a week. We're still in office park in post-poc times. We have both the problems of a normal office and the ones of our current situation. What kinds of problems? It's mostly stress. Easily explained hallucinations and delusions. Someone mentioning something that upsets someone else. We try and keep things as calm and normal as possible, but sometimes we get some strange things I have trouble explaining. Such as? You're really asking? Sorry, it's odd having someone to talk to about all this. 
I have to maintain a pretty tough guy front about some of this. These people can smell fear in leadership. Tell us. Well, some things seem innocuous, but are signs of something greater. You have to have an ear to the ground. You stick enough people together in a self-running office, trying to find work to do among the automation, and things start to appear. Myths and legends become facts. Sleepwalking and other stress behaviors start having domino effects. Terry tells us some of the odd myths and truths of the old office park. She takes us down a flight of stairs to a barricaded door. It's partly safety, but I'm not going down in there. I don't care what face I put on for the employees. Last time I went there, something threw a man's arm at my head. It almost knocked me out. Can we see it? I'm dead serious, guys. You don't want to go in there. An arm weighs a ton, at least 20 pounds, and it kind of flips around in flight like a boomerang. One guy got slapped so hard, it snapped his neck. The thing's got an arm. Yeah, that he throws at you. No, I mean the thing throwing the arm has an arm. Yeah, no, we get it. He has to, to throw the arm. Which arm? The one he's throwing. The one that's thrown or the one that he's owning? Well, I would think once the arm has an arm, it has ownership of the arm. Right, but I mean which arm? The arm thing is arming itself with an arm, and it's also got a pretty good arm. I'm gonna stop this right now before it gets out of hand. Let's go back upstairs. Terry tells us about a thing called a sea pass that is running through the air ducts. It scampers through the ducts at night, making a noise like steam exiting through a vent. Most of the openings we can't seal are in the emergency dorm, so we've been sleeping mostly in cubicles. Occasionally, if someone gets up in the night to get a glass of rainwater in the break room, we'll find their bones the next morning, all turned inside out, marrow exposed. My director of operations says she saw it once. She said it looked human. You just call it by the sound it makes? I mean, here, put your mic up next to the vent. What's that sound besides the scratching? I think that's the AC. AC? Like air conditioning? Nah, that stuff is kids' tales. Well, I mean, it's obviously on, but it's not really getting anywhere. It's probably just something stuck in the vent somewhere. Well, look, we could probably just crawl up- What the hell was that? Terry, AC is a myth. Complete and utter nonsense. Terry described to us some of the other various delusions and hallucinations of her workers. Carpet circles made with pens in the night. Small explosions in closets and bathrooms, bird-like creatures that hang on the edge of cubicles that can only be seen by one person. They apparently swoop down and grab bits of hair and yank them out of their heads. They shave their heads a while back to stop them. But what concerns Terry the most isn't the external problems, but the internal ones. The truth is that even with basement arm throwers and marrow inverters and the air ducts, the real issue is the pervading terror of living at the edge of another panic that destroys us. Honestly, all of our human resource directors are less bosses and less complaint takers and more uh, inquisitors of thought. What do you mean by that? It's something I found in old Terry's writings. Part of the reason we fired him, got too caught up in the morality of it all. This whole system was perfectly designed with the idea in mind of keeping people busy and happy and continuing humanity for as long as possible. That's why they designed these parks. But what we realized when it was actually implemented was that there was no end goal. We would survive, but until what? Every disaster that came before this had a hope of rescue, so they made this place with that goal. Rescue. They didn't consider the scope of the event. The truth is, no one is coming for us. So I just try and keep the wheels turning, keep the thoughts on track, try and uh, keep things like I remember it. 
Workday is up. I'll show you out. Tale led us back to the corridors of the work cubicles, and we saw the employees of Old Faraday Shipping opening up their home cubicles. Inside, they had tiny fires and huts of old binders and printer paper boxes. Under desks, children sat giggling and holding up sandwiches on long sticks. A man bangs on an old printer not plugged into a wall and curses under his breath. Light and water seeps through the cubicle gaps and slits in the square ceiling tiles. Before we know it, we're back outside, sunlight slowly disappearing beyond the wall and the hills like fingers slowly scraping across the plains. Now listen, before you guys go, you guys got a lot of information about this place out there. So there's just something I'd like to say to anyone who's listening who might want to come out here. Shoot, Terry. My name is Terry. And I don't remember my last name, but that doesn't matter. What does matter is that I got a nice little community here. And we've been messed with before. It's never happened again. But I'll make you an offer. If you come over here and try to mess with us, I will do everything possible to make sure your punishment is as long and painful as inhumanely possible. We've got nothing but time and imagination here. And that's a guarantee. You heard it here first, folks. Nobody messes with Terry. This is Oz. And I'm Ed. And this has been Post Talk. <laughs>